As we've seen in recent weeks in the book of Galatians, Paul is writing one of his first letters, if not his first letter, and he's very, very upset. He displays his anger and frustration more in this letter than any other one. He speaks of his being astonished at how quickly the people had turned away from the Lord and the basic teaching of the gospel message. And he says extreme things like, if I or anyone else or even an angel should come and tell you a different gospel, let them be eternally cursed. Strong language. Then last week in chapter 3, we read of his being very perplexed about the, the church in Galatia. Very upset about them. What is at the core of this? Does he just want to be right and the other people wrong? Well, we know that there were some who came and taught a different gospel. They taught something different than what Paul said. They said this, salvation is faith plus works and and then forgiveness of sins. And Paul said, that's not what I taught you. He said, salvation is faith plus nothing. And then you respond with good works. What he's he's concerned about is that by the Judaizers' so-called teaching, the people would come back under bondage. Now, the Reformation was 500 years ago, and we don't have a lot in day-to-day living that's similar to what they did in those days. And when we come to church, we don't have Latin and all the rest of the things that they had. But we do have one basic desire that they shared, that all human beings shared, and that's freedom. Now, most people think of freedom in terms of political freedom or economic freedom. That is to say, I can do as I want in in expressing myself in the free country, or that I can have enough money that I can do what I want and not be bound by my bills. But Paul is concerned about another kind of freedom that is at the core of our lives, and that makes all the difference in the world. And so we come into some more strong language in chapter 5, beginning in verses 10 through 13, and then over in chapter 6 in verses 14 through 16. Hear God's word. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, that is, keeping the law as part of our salvation, then why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then chapter 6. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Let us pray. O Lord, deep within our souls, we want to be free. We want to be free of the burdens of this life, yes, but we also want to be free to breathe air as 
independent human beings. We want to be free of fear. We want to be free of danger. We want to be able to do as we please. But you are teaching us a different kind of freedom, and we pray that this morning that might enter our hearts and our understandings, and that on this Reformation Sunday you might clearly help us to hear and to know your word. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. These days and then, the, de- the definition of freedom was simply this, self-determination without limits. I want to be able to be left alone to do as I please. I don't want to have to sacrifice because somebody else says so. I want to do what I want to do, and that's how we define freedom. You will hear it over and over again. Maybe that's your definition of freedom. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it. The Bible says that is not the definition of freedom. And in Galatians and elsewhere, we are told a different different definition. He says, we are called to be free, brothers. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about a deep freedom that is not dependent upon circumstances. It is a freedom that you can have though you be the poorest of the poor. It is a freedom that you have though you be the sickest of the sick. It's a freedom that you have though you be the most sinful of all. It's a freedom that's found only in Jesus Christ. But it begins with an offense. Verse 13. Verse 13. Uh, no, no I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, I wish you would. Uh, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but rather through love to serve one another. What he's saying is, if if you want to be free only for yourself, then you're going about it in completely the wrong way, and it's not going to be. It's not going to end well. You're not going to achieve. You're not going to find. You're not going to possess the kind of freedom that you want. You're called to freedom, but not for the flesh, not for the self, but rather to serve one another. And so, far be it for me to boast in the cross, verse 14 of chapter 6, of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Freedom in Christ begins with one main step. It's a step that everyone takes regardless of their age, regardless of their circumstances, and it's offense. The gospel is offensive. It's not just a nice little set of teachings about how to live or a series of directions and do's and don'ts. It is about a a deeper thing, and we can't experience it until we are offended. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says in chapter 1 that the cross is an offense to everyone who believes. The first step is that. Jews wanted power, he says. Greeks wanted wisdom. 
But the cross doesn't give us either one. In the cross, we see the weakness of God, not power. And in the cross, we see the wisdom of, we see the foolishness of God as we see it, not wisdom. Peter followed Jesus until he found out that the cross was at the end of his journey, and then he denied and turned away. The rich young ruler loved morality until it got personal, and he was offended by the standards which the Lord gave him. The first step to becoming a Christian, the first step to true freedom, is down. Repentance, humiliation, and humility. The first of the 95 theses that Martin Luther put on the door at the Wittenberg Church was, all of life is repentance. That doesn't sound like freedom, does it? Saying somebody is sorry, humbling oneself before God, submitting to his, his guidance and leadership, that doesn't sound like freedom. It sounds like something I'd rather not do. I want to go to school, but I don't want to submit to the teacher's rules. I want to learn, but I don't want to do my homework at the certain pace that the teacher gives me. I don't like rules. I don't like requirements. I don't like restrictions. But even more than that, in the cross, we have offense. The cross says, you can't do it yourself. The cross says, you need a redeemer and a savior, and it's not you. The cross says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the only hope. We're not going to get it from enough money, enough time, enough fame, enough success. Being offended by the cross is the the first step, but it's in the right direction. Do you see that in the cross? Do you see that in the cross there's a gigantic no to yourself? Has it taught you to say no to ungodliness, as Paul writes? The Judaizers were coming and saying, just do as we tell you and you will be free. Paul says, no, no, no. The circumcision, the law, the Old Testament will not set you free. The only thing that will set you free begins with humility. If you want to be free, you have to see the offensiveness of the cross and that you are saved by grace alone, regardless of your abilities or status. You can do nothing to merit it. This was the great offense of Luther. Luther said, salvation comes by faith through, by grace through faith alone. It's not by any other kind of practices or religious activities. And they hated him for it. They said, we've paved a way to salvation. And along that road, there are many good works, and we know exactly what to do and how much to do, and then we will receive freedom. Luther says it's a good plan. It's just wrong. Completely wrong. If you want to be free, you have to see the offensiveness of the cross that says, you can't do it. All of you can't do it. None of us is able, nor all of us. No matter who you are, you can't do it. But if you will humble yourself, 
If you will submit to the Lord, then no matter who you are, you can come. You can be received. No matter what you've done, no matter how much you trusted on your old way of living, you can be accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ. You find the cross offensive? I do. It tells me that I can't be free except in Christ. It tells me that all my other strivings will amount to nothing. It tells me that if I even receive long life, success, etc., I will not be free. But everyone else tells me if I follow a certain path and have certain success, then I will be free. Who's right? The Bible says, without hesitation, that true freedom comes from Jesus Christ. And knowing Christ begins with saying no to myself. Jesus was clear about that. If any man would come after me, he must pick up his cross daily and follow me. That doesn't sound like freedom in the world's definition. That sounds like a burden. But it is a light burden. It is a cheerful message. Try it. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. The second thing we learn from the, the gospel is that the cross is not only offensive, but it's our boasting place. Far be it from me, verse 14 of chapter 6, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The word freedom doesn't appear in that verse, but what he's saying is, I'm free. I've been set free. By clinging to the cross and making that my boast, by making Jesus Christ my righteousness instead of my own good works, by turning and embracing him completely and entirely and fully, I'm free. And I have learned that it would be a mistake for me for in any way to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now back in chapter 3, he says of those who want to put a pathway for us to find our way up to heaven. And they would in this instance use the matter of circumcision. They said, if you want to be saved you want to be forgiven of your sins, believe in Jesus as the Messiah and be circumcised according to the Old Testament. Not freedom, but restriction. And he responds with very strong language in verse 12, chapter 5. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. They're not just a little bit wrong. They're completely, totally, and dangerously wrong. We're not talking now about uh, competing theories or philosophies. We're talking about the difference between life and death. We're talking about the difference between freedom and bondage. And bondage to the Old Testament is still possible. Bondage to the law, even if in this day and time not many are talking about circumcision, there's bondage to something 
to the right, going to the right schools, doing the right things with your money, marrying the right person, all these things that you've got to do to have success. You will hear lots of advice on that subject. But what you won't hear at the coffee shop, what you won't hear people talk about, is submission to Christ. But freedom begins there. Freedom begins there. And let go of these other things as if they would settle at you and give you freedom. For far be it from me to boast, although he was a pretty successful fellow. He learned, though he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and although he was studied under Gamaliel, although he was one of the leaders of the Jewish people in his day and time, and had a marvelous pedigree and a wonderful reputation, he learned that boasting had to come from the cross by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Earlier in chapter 2, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. He uses the same language. What he's saying is a complete and radical change has happened to me and I no longer look for the things of this world to satisfy me or to set me free, no matter how abundant they may be. Something has happened to me and it is the cross. And it has humiliated me. It has humbled me. It has helped me to see my need of him. And in so doing, I have been set free. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live is by, is by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. That is really good news. The church doesn't have just morality to offer to the world. Everybody's got some of that. You can hear right and wrong from anyone you want to talk to and any religion or philosophy of this world. And we don't have a bunch of nice people and organization and activities to offer to people alone. Those are the outflow of the work of Christ. But we have been taught something important. The believer has learned something that they didn't know when they came up in this world. They learned to boast in the cross of Christ. What does that mean? Boasting means that if it wasn't for the wisdom of the cross, I would either have a God who just overlooked evil or a God of love, or I would have a God of holiness and absolute standards who was harsh and crushed people. But on the cross, the love and holiness of God is brilliantly fulfilled in each other. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The cross tells me that the law and that the justice of God and the mercy of God are brought together in one man. They do not exclude and cross out and ex exclude each other. They work together so that we have an obligation to be totally righteous and pure, which we fail to keep. And we have a Savior who loves us so much that he has in righteousness and purity saved us by our sins. Those two things brought together in him mean freedom. Boasting in the cross means that your problems are not over, but they're under control. The world doesn't have anything in it now that I have to have. If I boast in the cross, what I'm saying is this world holds nothing for me that I've just got to have, that I would sell my soul for. 
I'm now free to confront my problems. I'm free to love. Loving others would not enslave me. One of the resistances to modern relationships is that if I submit to you and I commit to you, you will rule me. You will tell me what to do. And that's one of the things that young people say again and again that keeps them from marriage and keeps them from commitment one to the other in friendship. A fear that a commitment will lead to restriction and a loss of freedom. But the Bible says no. The Bible says freedom comes through commitment to him and to one another. We are set free when we let go of ourselves. So I'm free to love, and loving others will not enslave me. For Jesus is a gentle master, and he will set me free. Boasting in the cross means also that I cannot feel superior to anybody. I'm not better than anyone else at all. No how, no way. It's a gift, something that he gave me and opened my eyes to. And so I boast in the cross, not in myself, not in other people, not in my possessions. And I can feel superior to nobody. I'm not better than anyone in any way. My boast is not in myself, my achievements, or anything like that. My boast is in Christ. He says in, the, in verse 16 of chapter four, 6, And as for all who walk by this rule, that is, the freedom that we have in Christ, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So it's a simple pathway. It's a simple step or series of steps to be free in Christ. Not putting ourselves under the yoke of slavery again, but free in him. On this Reformation Sunday, let us rediscover and reaffirm the truths that Martin Luther stood for and led us into. By ourselves, we can do nothing. By ourselves, we cannot save ourselves. And we cannot help ourselves. We cannot extend, Jesus said, you can't extend by one day the limit of your life. It's all in his hands. However, if we will submit to him, that sounds like bondage, by the way, doesn't it? Everything's out of our hands. God's in control. God's in charge. That sounds like bondage. But the Bible says that freedom comes through submitting to him who loved you and gave himself for you. Freedom comes by letting him lead and direct and guide. Freedom comes by his power and grace and mercy. And so this Reformation Sunday, we commit and recommit ourselves to that truth. Freedom in Jesus Christ comes from boasting in him and letting him do the work. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, this day as we come, we're so grateful that you have done the work. You have saved us by your cross. You have given us hope and joy and peace and contentment. You have set us free. Help us not to love the things of this world, but to be crucified to this world. Help us not to cling too tightly to what we want, but to rather submit to you 
who loves us more than we can love ourselves. Help us to do as you say and to follow the path of your teaching and to repent, to submit ourselves to you. For you are our mighty fortress, and in you there is rest and peace and hope always. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.